in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? LeBron James had a triple-double <laughs> in the Lakers' 131-120 win over Cleveland last night. 38-12-11 for LeBron James. He also kind of ended Kevin Love's oh. career last night by dunking on him in what was a, is this guy still 23 years old type of moment for LeBron James. That's why afterwards he said, K-Love, I love you. Well, I'd love him too. <laughs> he just stood there and I dunked over him. Um, how many, Let me ask you this. We are watching last night. Uh, my son loves the king, and I said, "How many more years do you think he'll go?" Because he, he's amazing. He he hit. He hit if you're watching, I'm sure you were. The two back-to-back -back shots. One was just a fall away, off a bump, and it just down the stretch. He does things now that it's amazing. How long do you think he'll play? Like my son said, five more years. I mean, how long yeah. will he play? I mean, he, I, he's amazing. This guy. He's 37, and he's having an incredible season, right? Like, the, the Lakers aren't winning a whole no. lot. They're going to be in a play-in game. But, like, he's playing incredibly well at 37 that it's, I, I guess, maybe because it's basketball and because he's just been so physically dominant over so many people in that sport for so long that I guess it's easy to see a very quick uh, fall off a cliff for LeBron James. But... The way he's playing right now, you look at it and you say, "Yeah, yeah. this guy's this guy's got yeah. five more years in him." Granted, he, you know he might be the fiftieth best player in the league five years from now, but that's still a good player in the NBA. So I, yeah, five years seems <laughs> plausible given what he's doing at the age. I mean, he's thirty-seven, and he 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 was like twelve inches above the rim when he dunked oh. last night on Kevin Love. He had three or four dunks last night, and he still and Stu Lance said this, and I agree. He's still one of the scariest guys coming down the lane. Oh, I mean, when yes. he goes downhill, you're getting you're either getting dunked over or you get the heck out of the way. I mean, he still has that power to him that you don't want anything to do with that when he's coming downhill. There, it's like it's amazing. Poor Kevin Love. Oh yeah. Well, I've got to. I got to be honest. I haven't followed it closely. The Cavs this year. I forgot he was still on the team. <laughs> I really did because Laurie Markkinen is kind of their the kind of the stretch big guy. So Kevin Love. He's out there last night. I'm like, oh my God, Kevin Love, how old is he now? He, I don't think he made, I think he got cut from the Olympic team, right? Yeah, he did. He didn't make the Olympic team. He got cut from it. Yeah, it was one of the first, it was like yeah. the first time he hasn't. Um, the Cavs right now, so they've, they've had a good season, surprisingly good season, but they have not been as good recently. They have fallen down to the sixth seed. They're only one game ahead of Toronto for six, which the seven seed goes to the play-in, the sixth seed goes straight into the... Uh, actual first round of the playoffs so they're they're barely holding on here to a actual playoff spot with toronto and even i mean brooklyn three games back is a decent size but even brooklyn is is close enough that you could see them catching the cavaliers and jumping into the top six so it's been a good season for cleveland but it looks like it might be catching up to them that they're not actually a true contender in the east great question Excellent. thank you 
All right, so HBO has a yeah. uh, miniseries on the Lakers called Winning Time. I have not watched this. Um, Ed, I know you told me yesterday that you are recording this we're to recording. watch it there all. There was one on last night, but yeah. we were, or my son was watching one, but we're, I'm recording all of them. I'll watch it at once. So this is from a summary from SilverScreenAndRoll.com about the most recent episode that focused on Jerry Tarkanian because in 1979... Jerry Tarkanian was about to leave UNLV for the Lakers job. Uh, the Lakers apparently were going to double his salary. He was making $350,000 as the UNLV head coach. They're apparently going to double that. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian said everything was set. I was the new coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. But apparently as this played out or as the uh, show described this, Tarkanian uh, wife were driving to a location in California to meet uh, Dr. Buss and Jeannie Buss to sign his new contract. But on the way, Jerry Tarkanian's agent was found dead in the back of a car, Ouch. presumably because of ties to the mafia. Uh, and that's apparently the episode ended uh, after that revelation here. But Jerry Tarkanian ended up coming back to UNLV and this played a fairly big role in it that his he was going to be the head coach of the Lakers in 1979 you don't get the any of the runs in the 80s you don't get the national title in the 90s he was going to be the head coach of the lakers in 1979 but his agent got murdered and it was potentially the mob that did it and that might have been the reason jerry tarkanian ended up staying at unlv for what ended up being another what 12 or 13 seasons. i mean fear on his part uh the way so the way silver screen and roll wrote it is this basically put a halt to him going to the Lakers. But the Lakers were like, hey, we know this has been tough on you, but the offer is still on the table for you to become our head coach. And I get the way the way it was written in the story is that after his agent was killed, uh, the story of him becoming the Lakers head coach became public. Like it had not been public knowledge that Jerry Tarkanian was going to be the Lakers head coach until after his agent was killed. And once people in Las Vegas found out Tarkanian was leaving, there was apparently an outpouring of support to try to keep oh, him. And, okay. And Tarkanian it got convinced. More, it was more that, than hey, that. Okay. Right. That, hey, this is my home. This is the job that I really love. This is where I should okay. stay. And he ended up staying. Right. I was not even close to being born yet. So I don't know if any of that's true or not. That's just what I read yesterday. So fascinating story, though. And I, I might go back and watch the whole series or at least watch yeah. this episode because... Hey, the UNLV kept their coach because that guy's agent got killed by the mob is a hell of a story. Found in the back of the car. Oh. Boy, that's mob. That's a great, great question. The Saints are expected to bring Jameis Winston back. He got a two-year deal worth $28 million. 21 of that is guaranteed. It's a pretty big guarantee for Jameis Winston. Uh, is he the second best starter in the NFC South right now? Let me see. Brady, uh, well, Brady's Jameis, Brady's Jameis. Mariota. Uh, well, Mariota. Oh, man, I like Mariota. Uh, yeah, probably. Let's see what Marcus does. Okay. Let's see what Marcus does. Um, Marcus Mariota is go is signed with the Falcons yesterday, by the way. He got a two-year deal, but only the first year appears to be guaranteed. Um, so Mariota's going to have a shot, I assume, yeah, to, to start, start for the Atlanta Falcons. I guess they could still maybe him. draft a quarterback and, and the rookie could beat Mariota out or something like that. But it appears as though that Mariota is going to be a starter in Atlanta as they tear everything down. It's good that he gets to try to be a starter again, but I also feel a little bit bad for him because that team is going to be atrocious. Yes. Like the Falcons are going to suck next year. 
they're going to be awful. And Mariota, Mariota could be really good next year, and we probably won't and still even win notice, two games, right? Or be able to tell because the Falcons are going to be so bad. I'm curious on the Saints, by the way. Um, if Jameis, he what he tore his ACL last year, right? I'm curious. Can, can the Saints be? I mean, they could uh, be a wild card team with Jameis, yeah. right? Especially in the NFC, it's not like we. Yeah. It's not like you uh, pointed out the AFC the other day or earlier in the show and how tough that is. Um, yeah. You know, the Rams, the Cardinals, I'm thinking Dallas, Tampa Bay. They could get, you know, Green Bay. They could get near the wild card probably. Yeah. Nine I, and I eight think, last year. I think they've got a shot. I mean, if, if Jameis Winston has a good season, I think they've got a real shot to be a, a playoff team. I mean, they're certainly not legitimate Super Bowl expectations there, but there's absolutely a, a shot at the Saints making the playoffs with Jameis having a good year, which, by the way, I'd still, we talked about it all last year, the him getting LASIK surgery and now being able to see and maybe not throwing 30 interceptions. He gets hurt, so it's kind of hard to see that, but I, I hope that he has a big year and we can point back to, well, that LASIK eye surgery, now he knows who's on his team and who's not on his team. Did I, uh, I told you in the past I've had the LASIK. Yes, you have. Yeah. You, did, did it get worse? Did it revert? Uh, it's reverted some. Okay, because my all, my my mother had LASIK. Did it revert? I think ten years later, it was it was roughly ten years she had to sort of go. It wasn't all the way back to where she was before, but she she has to wear glasses still on on an occasional basis okay. because it, it hasn't stayed at twenty twenty vision. Next question: The Panthers really wanted to see Kenny Pickett's hands. This is a tweet. This is from, weird from Mark Cavalli, who said yesterday Kenny Pickett uh, had a pro day. And Carolina GM Scott Fittner called over Kenny Pickett so he can see his hands, then made him hold the ball for the offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo. They seemed pleased with what they saw. <laughs> now, didn't I read yesterday Pickett's hands have grown? Oh, they've grown? Yeah, an eighth of an inch. So, okay. So <laughs> since, Ken- since the- I don't know okay. how they grew so, so fast. Here's the fun part about Kenny Pickett. He was at one of like the senior bowl or whatever, whatever, whatever college all-star game he went to. And he declined to have his hands measured at that game because he said he was double jointed and yes. his, his measurement was going to be wrong. Then he went to the combine and I believe he measured in at eight and a half inches, yeah, which would there. be, which would be the smallest of any quarterback in the NFL. Um, and now you're telling me that the, he's grown a, an eighth of an inch since I the believe, combine? I believe he has. I've got to find this <laughs> because uh, I saw this yesterday. Maybe it was a joke. Kenny. Oh, no. Uh, no. Can, ESPN. Kenny Pickett's hand size uh, increases by an eighth of an inch from the combine to Pittsburgh to, uh, to the Panthers Pro Days. So <laughs> how he, he went home and maybe just sat there and stre- he said – Stretches helped him out, and it went. His hand size increased by an eight and inch, uh, checking in at eight and five eight inches on at Pitts Pro Day. How about that? That's beautiful. The stretches, so every... the stretches work. Pickett said it's the reason why I've been doing them. If it helped getting an eighth of an inch, I'll take it. So is he going to be doing these stretches, trying to grow his hand yes. even more? By the He's time, be like... by the time the league starts next year, he'll be like nine and a half, <laughs> like the biggest hands in the league. I love so much the hand conversation yes. because it sounds so stupid, so stupid but there might it might actually be real. And eight and a half inches is very small for a quarterback's hands. And I love that there's a general manager calling a quarterback over, being like, "Let me see them hands, boy." Yeah, hold, 
hold this football for me. Oh. That's right. That's what I like to see. So I'm actually looking at a uh, Sports Illustrated article, and it said that hand growth is not uncommon. And Josh Allen's hand actually grew three eighths of an inch because of massage therapy. Jeez. <laughs> Get Kenny Pickett in a massage. Yeah, he's only room. gone a he's only gone an eighth of an inch with the stretchy. Now he goes he needs to go get a massage. This the same article uh says Pickett credited his sudden jump to routine stretches since the combine. Next question. Trent Brown is re-signing with the uh, Patriots. No reunion with Vegas? Yeah, no one, reunion with he's McDaniels? He's the one, one Patriot guy these people don't want here. Uh, here's a question, and we'll get more into the Raiders' offensive line at 8.30. Will Trent be better than the Raiders' right tackle next oh. season? Oh, that's a good question. Better than Brandon Parker? <laughs> yes. Yes. I think he will be better than Brandon Parker. But will Brandon Parker be the starter? That's the real question. Well, All right. yeah, we'll get into it, but they better Coming get somebody. Coming up next, we will jump into some college basketball and uh, give, you a, give you a shot at who's going to actually go to the Final Four after we all lost some teams. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. All right, Ed. NCAA tournament well underway. We've got our Sweet 16 teams. Um, and you're, you you did two brackets. How many Final Four teams do you have left in either one? Uh, let me think. I, I <laughs> this is to, why you only do think. one, Ed. I have to think. This is why you only do one, so you don't forget who's in your Sweet And one in of them, Final I definitely four. lost Kentucky. And one of them, I definitely lost Illinois. Uh, I'm trying to think of the brackets. Um do you, I, you had Gonzaga. I have both. Gonzaga and Arizona. No, I have, no, I have Gonzaga and I have Kansas winning. I have Gonzaga winning one and Kansas winning one. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's not good. <laughs> it's not. It's not good. I mean, I had. I know I had Illinois in one, and I know I had Kentucky in one. So it's probably not good. I, in the single bracket that I filled out, like a normal person, uh, <laughs> I had Kentucky and Iowa in the final four. That did not go very well for me. So you get a you get a second shot at this from the Sweet Sixteen on. Who do you think is going to be in the Final Four now? In the in the West region, all the top seeds advance. Gonzaga plays Arkansas. Texas Tech plays Duke. Who's coming out of that region? Okay, I want to say Gonzaga, but I'm hoping um, Arkansas because uh, if, if Musselman ever got to the Final Four, he'd not only take off the shirt, but he'd be a complete lunatic and run around naked. Would because he? That guy, if that guy got to the Final Four, he takes his shirt off after winning first-round games. Would he coach a Final Four game without a shirt on? For if the it meant getting the Final the Four in a second, in a second. <laughs> First of all, I haven't seen Arkansas much. Is I'm assuming he's going with the uh, polo shirt. I haven't seen yes. who's man. I've seen one team with suits on, and I'm trying to remember who it was. I've seen one team with suits. Do you remember who that was? Uh, I do not, but it is. Cert- there's been a revolution in college basketball yes, where coaches I like have stopped wearing suits. Oh, there's right. no reason. There's no to wear reason a for suit. suits. It's, um, it's stupid. But if you said Eric. You're going to beat Gonzaga, and you're going to beat Duke, and you're going to be in the Final Four, but you must coach without your shirt on and in boxer shorts. That kid would do it in a second. To oh, be in the no Final doubt. Four? That he, guy is crazy. I can't remember. There was a regular season in this game. I can't remember who they beat. He had his arm in a sling because he was injured yes. or something and still found a way to take his shirt off after the game despite yeah. having a sling <laughs> on his arm. 
It's like he's only got one functioning arm and he still found a uh, way to run around shirtless after Arkansas yes. won a game. Uh I still so think Gonzaga, Gonzaga comes out of I still think it's Gonzaga that comes I mean, out of that region. We both they have to see Gonzaga Duke, right? Uh no. Oh, okay. No, I don't need to see Duke. So I mean I see okay. Texas Tech. All right. No, you're right. I do want to see Duke because I don't want to see Texas Tech either. They're no fun to watch. Give me Duke. Give me uh give me Palo versus uh yeah. Chet. Yes. in the in the uh, elite eight so you're right i do want I, I don't have that i don't have a great interest in seeing duke playing but i don't want to watch texas tech they're no fun to watch all right in the east the region that is uh one of the most bizarre north carolina ucla in one matchup purdue and st peter's in the other yeah. who comes out of that region okay uh by the way jim Gemma just uh convinced or just uh confirmed it's uh mick cronin wears suits okay Oh, that that makes sense. Okay. Thank I, you, yeah, Jimmy. Thank sense. you, Jimmy. Um, I am with you because I think North Carolina is better than UCLA, and I don't know why. I'm totally with you. Although um, it's Jaya's who's hurt, uh, which which could hurt. Um, uh, it's Jaime Jaquez is hurt for UCLA, and he's got the bad ankle. But something there's something about UCLA. It they had it last year. They had it this year. I'm totally with you. I watched North Carolina. I'm like, all right, that, that's a better team than UCLA, especially since they beat Duke. North Carolina has been really, really good. You're going to think I'm crazy. I'm going to say UCLA, and I don't even know why. I can't even tell you why. It's just something about this team. They kind of get on these rolls the last two years under Cronin when it gets to this point. Uh, the other thing is, and I love St. Peter's story, Purdue will beat them depending on how hard a game Purdue has. They might be more prepared. I mean, if UCLA and Carolina is kind of a slugfest, and they go all the way to the end and it's a tough game. This might really, really be advantage Purdue if they can kind of take care of St. Peter's. Is okay. Is Purdue right now doing as much prep work for North Carolina and UCLA <laughs> yeah. as they are for St. Peter's? Ah, uh, they've got one coach on Peter's and two on UCLA and, and Carolina. But they do it. They better have a coach on St. Peter's. These guys beat Kentucky. I mean, can you? The one thing you, you're telling your guys is. I know you want to look ahead, but just think, do you want to feel like Kentucky did? Like, do you want to be that team across the country, which would probably get their attention enough to where they'd focus on St. Peter's, I would think. Not because so, they think they're going to lose to St. Peter's. Yeah. In that region, UCLA, by the way, is up to eighth in Ken Palm. Uh, they were they were right around the 10 mark coming into the NCAA tournament. So they were, by Ken Palm rankings, uh, under-seeded as get, just getting a four-seed there. But I... I think North Carolina comes out of that okay. region. Um, I, I, again, there's some sort of weird bias for me where I don't think UCLA is as good as they they win. They keep winning, and I don't think they're that good, and they're very high in Ken Palm. I still don't think they're that good. For whatever reason, I just don't buy it. I think North Carolina comes okay. out of that region. Now, hold on. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We're going to the next one. We haven't got to TJ yet. No, TJ, TJ will be last. We'll get to TJ last. All right. Out of the South, you've got Arizona and Houston, which is a matchup of two top five Ken Palm teams. Uh, you have Michigan, the 11 seed, the the underdog Michigan Wolverines. Uh, they are taking on Villanova, the two seed. Who's coming out of the South? Oh, Villanova was with my final four team, but I can't, uh, can't, I don't know if I want to stay with them. I'll tell you one thing. I think, uh, I think Arizona, if they play like they did against TCU, could definitely lose to Houston, especially on the boards. I mean, Houston's just freaks on the boards, and Arizona, man, TCU just... God, I don't know how many offensive rebounds they had, but it was it was ridiculous. So, in that sense, Arizona. <laughs> uh, I, the Arizona-Houston game is probably the Sweet 16 game I'm most looking forward yes. to watching. That is number two versus number three in Ken Palm, and 
Houston is the 333rd fastest team in the country. They are slow. Arizona is the fifth fastest team in the country. So you have a significant clash of styles there. That's the one I'm most looking forward to. I believe the winner of that one can win the national championship. However, Villanova's going to the final four. All right. Well, good good for my bracket, even though I'm number forty six out of uh sixty something in that in that number two bracket. So <laughs> all right. The last region, the Midwest region, Kansas takes on Providence, a one versus a four, and then the ten eleven, the common ten eleven sweet sixteen matchup, Miami taking on Iowa State. Who's going to the final four? I gotta four? go rock chalk Jayhawk. I got yeah. I gotta I gotta go Kansas. I mean I know I know we all want TJ. It'd be a nice story. I think TJ loses to Larinaga, though. I think TJ's going to lose to Miami. I did, too. I, I think Kansas and Miami win, and I, I think it's it's too easy of a pick at this point to put Kansas in the Final yeah. Four. Like, Providence is a team that has won a whole bunch of close games this season and are probably not as good as their record. However, they, they keep winning those close games. So if you tell me it's a two-point game against Kansas with two minutes to go, mate – Maybe turn it on and say, oh, Providence is actually going to pull this one out. But I, I think Kansas wins that one, and I would guess they roll over Iowa State or Miami, regardless of who it is. I think it'll be Miami, but I think they'll roll over whoever they get in the Elite Eight. So I think that one's Kansas. So we both agree on Kansas. Kansas. You've uh, got Villanova. I've got Arizona. We both agree in Gonzaga. You've got Carolina. I've got UCLA. Okay. And then I, I think the— I don't like my UCLA pick, but I'll stay with it. Some... I mean— there's it's something a, about that weird team. Yeah. Uh, so I think the mo- the most likely outcome here is Kansas Gonzaga in the national championship yes. game at this point. Um, granted that the Arizona Houston, uh, the winner of that one, I I think can honestly really win the national championship. So whoever wins that game, I think has a legitimate shot. Uh, but right now, I I think Kansas and Gonzaga are the most likely teams to win the national championship. Um, which of these teams do you think? Uh, do do you? You think uh, St. Peter's could beat Purdue? You think that uh, Michigan could beat Villanova? Like, you think any of these higher seeds, seeds have a legit, have, yeah, have a legitimate shot at uh, knocking off not only what, maybe winning one game but getting to the Final Four? Oh, not getting to the Final Four, but can I just just because we want it to happen? And he is a lower seed. Can we make TJ over Miami? It is an eleven over a deck. I mean, I guess. I mean, I it's guess. kind of that's kind of a bad <laughs> pick. Um, uh, Michigan. I don't know. I think Villanova is really good, man. I think Villanova is really good, and I don't think St. Peter's is winning. I'd love for St. Peter. I want St. Peter's to win, just so can we get more TikToks about their uh, their college. And see, <laughs> I want to see those two houses. I want to see those two houses again that are on campus. One's probably the president's. He's got a house, and then the AD's got the other house. If the AD doesn't, he does now with this basketball run. I I think my my main my main thing with Villanova is. And this is probably short-term me getting too influenced by watching just a couple of games. To me, they feel like the safe, maybe the safest team of anybody left that I trust their offense to not go on a massive drought. Mm-hmm. Like, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I'm just like, yeah, Villanova hasn't scored in two and a half minutes, and the other team's on an 8-0 run, right. but they're they're about to score on four right. straight possessions. And Gillespie's they're be about just to take, make, like, three shots. Right. So I, And I, I don't really have any reason to back that up. That's just some weird sense I get watching them that it's like, yeah, okay, they're, they're going to score soon. It's not going to be a problem. Whereas, like, you know, well, hell, you watch Mountain West basketball oh, and all the man. teams in the conference. Like, you know what? We're not going to score for the next nine and a half minutes. San Diego State so. up nine, does not score for five minutes, loses <laughs> in overtime. Thanks for checking in. So it happens. So I don't know what it is, but Villanova makes me think they're they're just not going to have long offensive droughts. They're not really great defensively, so that 
is probably the reason they end up losing at some point along the way. But I just sort of believe they're not going to get they're not going to lose a game because their offense went away for seven minutes at a time. Whereas most teams left, I can kind of see that happening, except maybe Gonzaga has been really good offensively. So it's hard to see. They're very efficient as well. So there's our there's our updated final four yeah, teams. updated brackets. We reseed yeah. after each round. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next, we're gonna jump into the Raiders because uh, is their offensive line done? It's the press box on ESPN eleven hundred and one hundred point nine FM. We had some moves from the Raiders yesterday. They made a couple of signings on defense that we will get to. Uh, made a couple of signings on offense or re-signings on offense because they brought back Brandon Parker and Jermaine Elamanor. Uh Parker actually started 13 games for Vegas last year. He was their third-round pick in 2018. However, Pro Football Focus graded him the 76th best tackle out of 83 last season. He is the guy that played right tackle after Alex Leatherwood got moved in to play right guard. Elamanor presumably has been signed to be a backup. Maybe Brandon Parker has as well. Cuz let me let me ask you this first if you're if you're the Raiders right now, do you believe they're going into next season expecting Brandon Parker to start or was this two depth signings at offensive line yesterday? I mean, I hope it's two depth signings. Don't they have to make a run at a guard or a tackle here? They got a wider see. They got another wide receiver in today. Uh, it's very interesting to me where they've gone with the offensive line this offseason comparative to other positions. Uh, it's it's amazing that that this is where we're sitting. If the, if they started today, well, if they had a game today, Brandon Parker's the right tackle, right? He is. I, I would I mean, assume so. Anyways, I, I don't know who else is the right tackle. So it's just and everyone's written it, and maybe they don't. Well, they're Derek Carr. They don't read what we write. But, uh, you know, about the offensive line and how, how much it needs to be upgraded. And all we've seen are defensive players. Obviously, we've seen Devontae Adams, huge deal there. We've seen uh, w- uh, other wide receivers been brought in, linebackers, special teams players. And it's almost like, do they know something we don't? Or are there still offensive linemen? Or is, it, is, is this in the draft? Have they fallen in love with someone in the draft? Can you fall in love with someone you're going to pick in the third round? Oh, that's right. <laughs> No, you can't. No, you so, can't. I forgot about okay. Devontae Adams. <laughs> he's being introduced today. We really love this guy. We hope yeah, he's, he's there in the round, round five. <laughs> we hope he makes it to he's day a, three. He's a sleeper, Tyler. He's a sleeper. <laughs> so, the okay, you would assume the Raiders, because they've effectively gone all in with the Chandler Jones signing, with the Devontae Adams trade, you would assume they're going to upgrade the offensive line. Because right now, if if the Raiders played a game right now, the best offensive line they could make, Colton Miller would be your left tackle, right? He was good right. last year. His pro football Very focus good. rank was fifth out of 83 tackles. Very good. He'd be your left tackle. But after that, Denzel Good is your left guard. He was 76th of 82 guards last year by pro football focus. Andre James is your center. He was the 20th out of 39 centers last year by Pro Football Focus. Alex Leatherwood is your right guard. He was 80th of 82. And Brandon Parker is your right tackle. He was 76th Not good enough. of 83. That is three guys yeah. who were like Horrible. literally bottom five Terrible. at their or bottom 10 at their position last season. That's that's atrocious, right? That's awful. Maybe this is so, what's holding up the Derek Carr extension. Maybe. But <laughs> so you you would assume 
there's going to be something else for the offensive yes. line. At least one of those guys will be replaced. And, you know, Brandon Parker at right tackle is probably the one that makes the most sense because Denzel Good, he's had better seasons before last year. Alex Leatherwood, uh, rookie, you're probably f- fair to give him another shot and say, hey, prove to us you're not the worst guard in the NFL. So you'd look at right tackle as an option. But the weird part, is if you believe that, if you think, okay, that Brandon Parker is going to be a guy that comes off the bench. He's going to be a backup tackle in case somebody gets hurt, right? If you believe that, that means the Raiders have signed three new depth offensive linemen. Because remember, they didn't just sign Brandon Parker yesterday and Jermaine Elamanor. It's They also signed Alex Bars, the guy away mm-hmm. from Chicago. And they have also have other linemen on the roster there's a guy named jackson barton there's a guy named william sweet right there's a guy named uh J- jordan meredith like they've got other guys on this roster lester cotton they've got other offensive linemen that are depth linemen and not that you can't cut these guys right it's not like any of these guys are making massive amounts of money that it's going to kill your cap if you cut him but you've got to believe the raiders have if you believe the raiders haven't signed their starting right tackle then you also believe that they've signed like six backup offensive linemen already which would be a weird way to go about things. I don't want Hironis Garasu to beat out Andre James because I don't want to write that name on deadline uh, or Brett Hagee. Like you said, Jordan Merrith. I'm looking at the um, I'm looking at the depth chart here. Alex Bars is now fourth at right tackle. So if he's not depth, there's uh, something really wrong. I I don't know. I I don't think that they cannot stand with this. And I, I kid no. about the, the I kid I kid about the contract for Carr. Is he is he saying, look, I'll sign it, but what, who's going to protect right. me? I mean, I don't want to sign this thing until I know someone's going to protect me because there's no way that can be. Well, it can be the offensive line because that's what they would start with today. And let me ask Carr gets his. Are they close to or in worrisome with the cap if you had to go get some really good? I mean, the cap apparently doesn't matter. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the thing with Derek Carr is pending how they do an extension for him his cap hit could actually get less for this season. Like they could, they could kind of drop a, the cap a good hit. one. Like they did with Devonte Adams, right? They could drop uh, Derek Carr's cap hit so that it's not the $19 million or whatever it's going to be for this season. So conceivably they can make some more room if needed with a Derek Carr extension. Now, again, you're punting money down the road and eventually you're going to have to pay for it against the cap, but uh, they can, I assume make some room pretty easily if they do want to sign an offensive lineman, but, They've got to. I mean, you they that's, have that's to. like you can't go into this season with a hey, we got Devontae Adams, look at all these great skill position guys that the Raiders have, and not give them a better offensive line than the one that currently would start for them, which is effectively the same offensive line they had last year, right? You have to improve that part of the team if you expect this offense to do anything. And then on top of that, we've talked about it. The defensive lines in this conference or in this division. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable that you know the Chiefs with you know they've got Frank Clark and they might have the fourth best edge rushers yeah. in the division. Like you're going to get crushed if you go into this season with Brandon Parker, Alex Otherwood, Andre James, and Denzel Good all as starters next to Colton Miller. Like you're gonna like Derek, great Devontae Adams on the team can't get him the ball because Derek Carr is under pressure and had to throw it away after a second. Like. They have to do something at the offensive line or Devontae Adams is going to have like his worst season ever because, well, there wasn't enough time to throw him the ball. (laughs) 
I got open. What the hell happened? <laughs> he, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller are all wide all open. wide open. And, he, and they look Derek back, Carr and Derek yeah. Carr's on the ground with three defensive linemen on top of him. They've like, got to ah. do something here for a guard or a tackle. They have they, to. They have to. And I, I'm not going to pretend to know who's still out there uh, free agent-wise. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. And maybe they get – but, again, who are you getting in the third, fourth, fifth round? You're getting depth guys. You're not getting a starter in the third round as an offensive yeah. lineman. You're getting depth guys. Yeah. Uh, they continue to sign these two defensive players, Kyra Fracco and Micah Kaiser. I, are these just depth special teams guys? Uh, I would get, I mean, Kyler Fackrell has mostly been a guy that comes off the bench in his career. He does have 23 and a half sacks in six seasons, which is pretty good, but he's a, he's a three, four edge rusher and he played one season with Patrick Graham. So I'm assuming this guy is maybe doesn't even make the team. I, I guess he probably does, but maybe he doesn't even make the team, but if he does, it's going to be, yeah, you're, you're the backup here as an edge rusher. Micah Kaiser is a linebacker. 27 three years in the nfl doesn't really hasn't really done much notable on it maybe he makes the team i mean they need bodies at linebacker at the moment i would say linebacker like least important position if you're filling out right. a defense that's the one you care about the least well so looking at their depth chart they care about it the least because right so now I, kyler I, fracker and michael kaiser are listed as starters right so i'm kind of like I'm, I'm okay with like yeah we didn't we didn't go heavy on on linebacker spot because whatever we're going to be good at edge rusher and maybe better in the secondary and we'll figure out linebacker later so it should be fine it's not like on the offensive side where they haven't really addressed the offensive line yet and we'll see what happens by the way just looking through pro football focuses top uh offensive linemen or top tackles teron armstead was their number one tackle he still is not signed uh Dwayne brown was their number three offensive tackle he still is not signed so Eric Fisher was their fifth best tackle. He hasn't signed. So there's there's okay. still a handful so of guys out there. There's out good there. guys out there. But, uh, you know, if those guys get $10 million, does that make sense to the Raiders, right? If they get a $10 million a year contract or something like that, does that make sense? I don't know. And uh, to be honest, they probably, like, maybe they don't get 10 years. Or maybe they don't, excuse me, maybe they don't get 10 years. Maybe they don't get $10 million. Um, so maybe it's less than that and they can make it fit. But there's still guys out there the Raiders can go get. It's just, you know, it feels like, hey, the roster's getting pretty close to complete. They signed some offensive linemen. Oh, those are the same ones that were bad last season. Are they actually going to improve there? I assume they do, but until we see it, we kind of still have to sit out here with this caveat of are the Raiders actually going to get better on the offensive line or is it going to be a problem? They brought in, by the way, they're apparently meeting with uh, Demarcus Robinson, yeah, Demarcus a wide Robinson. receiver from the Chiefs who – he hasn't really done a whole lot in his career. He's been a, you know, a, a sort of a secondary option as far as just getting on the field for the Chiefs. So we'll see if they bring in Demarcus Robinson. But offensive line, maybe going to be a problem. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into a little bit of Oakland A's relocation talk because somebody in Oakland really doesn't want them to get their ballpark. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. The Oakland A's trying to get a new ballpark done in Oakland uh, might have an issue now. They've had two potential issues in the past week or so. Uh, first off, they had a meeting in which they were hoping to um, get approval. Uh, on one of the steps, they did not get that approval on one of the steps. A rezoning was what they needed ha to happen in Oakland, and they did not get a recommendation for a rezoning to build their ballpark. But now, an Oakland councilwoman, Carol Fife, has proposed a public vote 
on the A's new ballpark in Oakland. And the A's do not want this to go to a public vote because as pretty much every sports stadium in history, if public money is required to build it and they actually let the public vote on it, it would lose. And the A's are worried that if this does go to a public vote and the public decides their fate, they will not get the money that they are hoping to get to build a ballpark in Oakland. And all of a sudden, those five plots of land come into play, maybe. Maybe. That, I and still that's don't the, think so. That's the other part of this. Is So uh, Mick Akers of the RJ reported that the A's put in an offer on another plot of land in Las Vegas last week. But here's, here's, here's the pattern to pay attention to, because this has happened, I believe, three times in a row now. Every time there is a meeting in Oakland about the A's new ballpark, Dave Cavill of the Oakland A's tells Las Vegas that he bid on some more land. Yes. <laughs> Your house happened. and my house are the last two plots of land that have not been bid on. This has happened multiple times where Dave Cavill does not say anything about Las Vegas until there is a meeting in Oakland about his ballpark. Right. And right. when that meeting happens, he says, hey, you know, we bid on some more land in Las Vegas. Hey, we're still interested. In, like, he does not talk about Vegas until there is a meeting in Oakland, which makes it extremely obvious that he is only talking about Las Vegas to try to put pressure on Oakland to give him what he wants. Basically, a hey, see that headline? I got another plot of land that I bid on. I got another plot of land that I'm interested in. You guys better give me what I want, or I might go to Vegas and use one of these five plots of land. That's been the pattern of the Oakland A's, which makes Las Vegas look even more and more like leverage. Because here's the other detail, and we've mentioned this before about the plots of land. Dave Cobble is the only source of information that they have bid on this land. So Dave Cobble could be offering $2 to buy some land somewhere. This could be land that they don't even use to build a ballpark. He could just be bidding on land so that he can say he is. It might not be a legitimate offer. And until we hear from somebody that actually owns the land that says, oh, yeah, he bid on that land and I really want to sell it to him. It doesn't really mean a whole lot that they put a bid in on some land in Las Vegas. Do you believe because yet again, we have never heard on a public private uh, uh, deal here, although Mick also reported if there was less if there was, you know, little temperature five months ago, there's even less now in right. the county for this. They just <laughs> this public money is just not going to happen. But. On these plots of land, how many of these plots of land would you assume? And we both think they're staying in Oakland. We both think that Vegas is leverage. But how many plots of land do you think would be part of a deal so you're not asking for public money? Like, if I own the land, well, I'll give you the land. Much like I think didn't Henderson give it to the Raiders? Yes, or did they, they, gave, yeah, they, they gave him a 50% discount. They gave him a 50% discount. Facility. Like, how much do you think the land plays into it to kind of get this, get this going here? Well, it, it depends on who owns it. Right, I mean, if right. they're if, yeah. if they're talking about uh, city or county owned right. land, then yeah, that that I could absolutely see. If we're talking about some county or city owned land where, hey, they want to put a ballpark here and that lands it. Like what happened with the Raiders and Henderson was the land was appraised at like twelve million, and Henderson sold it to the Raiders for six million. Right, absolutely, right. like that. That I could see, and that you know when we're talking about, hey, we gave the Raiders seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Six million really isn't a whole lot that you're that you're missing out on. No. There. So that I could see happening. But if they're looking at land that's owned by a business or whatever, I mean, if let's just say one of the if, if Caesars owns some land and the A's want to buy it and put a ballpark there, why would Caesars give them a discount? Like they'd be like, 
you want the land? All right, pay us what it's right. worth and hell, pay us more because you really want to put a team here and you can't get it done in Oakland. The the part of Vegas, and you and you mentioned it because Nick also reported that the the appetite for giving the A's public money is somehow less than zero. Like yeah. it was it was Steve Sislak came on the show and said, Yeah, we're not giving them any There's money. There's no temperature it, for that. And somehow it's less than that. Um that's the part of this that makes Las Vegas so unlikely, even if even if everything fell apart in Oakland and they don't get public money in Oakland, it's hard for me to imagine a team would move out of a bigger city, a bigger market to come to a smaller market where they're also not getting public money. Mm -hmm. Like I, I cannot imagine a team would move out of the Bay Area to come to Las Vegas without getting public money to build a ballpark. If they've got to build it 100% on their own, they'd be smart to just do it in the bigger market, even if they're not getting taxes. So until um, until we hear something about Las Vegas offering up tax money, I just I have a very hard time imagining they would actually come here. That's how we got the Raiders. We basically bribed them. We said, here's $750 million. Come build a stadium, please. Right. If we're not giving the A's that, I can't imagine why they would leave. I, I can't figure it out because that would be dumb for them to leave a bigger market. So until that happens, I, they're, they're staying in Oakland. I'd like to hear from John Fisher one time, although he doesn't speak. No. I think he's mute. He's mute. I don't think he speaks. I mean, it's only Cobble talking and the owner yeah. who's worth billions of dollars who's a cheapskate and doesn't and doesn't pay these guys because he, you know, he just wants all the money for himself and he wants to line his pockets. I'd like to hear one thing from him. Never hear anything from Fisher, ever. And, and I, we're not the only ones. He doesn't talk up there either. He doesn't talk at all. But he's worth billions of dollars. And it, they're always crying poor up there with the players and the salaries and the free agents, even though he could afford it if he wanted to. And you come here and do that, man. Good luck to you. And, you know, I also don't believe Cobble told me the other day, well, hey, new ballpark, increased revenues. Your owner doesn't operate that way. That's kind of in your DNA and how you operate. So do you really believe they're going to come here and start signing to Carlos Correa's for 10 years for $300 million? He told you that there was also a headline in the San Francisco Chronicle. So Dave Cobble is out of being like, listen, yeah, exactly. we'll, we'll pay the players. Just give us a ballpark. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. The I answer is no. no. They're still going to be stingy and try to win with $7 payrolls. 